Hey everybody, my name is Fran Curry and welcome to Eavesdrop. We're so glad you're with us today talking about um, issues that affect you anywhere on planet Earth, especially if you're a girl or you're a woman. My guest today is Christy Marie Musso and we're going to be talking about her story in just a minute. Um, I've been in media for 20 years after graduating college. I'm a native of Alabama, went to school in Boston, and um, was really excited that, to have the opportunity to do this uh, eavesdrop and to talk about women's issues and hopefully brighten your day, make you think, make you feel better. Um, if you need to cry, it's okay. If you need to laugh, we hope we can cover all the bases. Well, Christy uh, Musso is here with me today. How are you, Christy? I'm doing wonderful. That's good. Christy is um, has been through it, and I think wherever you are on planet Earth, you know what that means, been through it. Christy is a, an extraordinary person as far as ministry and, and, and talking to people and helping people grow and change and build their lives. But uh, Christy's been through some difficult times, and so often after those difficult times is when we see where God is is leading us and in what direction. Now, Christy, we met a few years ago at a meeting for, it was Alabama Circle of Friends, right? Absolutely. And um, so it's something that people have in every state and every country in the world where single folks get together and have a, a really good time going places. For those of us who, who are not married or who've been divorced or husband is deceased, and uh, Christy and I reconnected a few months ago, and she invited me to speak to the Alabama Circle of Friends group, and we had a wonderful time. At that time, I met uh, a gentleman who would eventually turn out to be her fiancé and her husband. Um, He was somebody I had a quick conversation with, Christy. I don't know if I ever told you this, but uh, I am a daily survivor of clinical depression, and when I meet someone who also deals with that, we are kindred spirits, and in the 10-minute conversation I had with David, there was a light and a goodness about him. So I see how you guys ended up together in that. So tell us about your, your love story with David and, and, and what happened after you guys got together. Okay. Well, he actually came into our Circle of Friends ministry um, shortly after he divorced, we just became good friends, hit it off very quickly. We're together, you know, just all the time. Really, actually, just started talking by email. And then, of course, you know, he asked me out. And from that point on, we had, for six months, just absolutely, you know, were crazy about each other. Um, the short six-month time that we were together, we were involved in starting a Celebrate Recovery at a um, Mountain Brook church that I had just taken a singles minister position at. So we were involved in doing that together. God just opened the door. Um, for us, a lot of things had happened where we had to move our wedding up a little bit quicker um, than expected. Got married August the 7th, and I was just as probably as happy as I had been. I'd actually not even dated anybody in three years. So I just knew when God put David in my life that this was it. So uh, about two months after we were married, um, David was diagnosed with being bipolar. There were a lot of um, up and down moments, uh, a lot of good moments, but a lot of hard hard moments also for anybody that's ever uh, dealt with somebody being bipolar. Well, the closer towards the holidays that it got, especially around Thanksgiving, there were um, just a couple of things going on in David's life. Some uh, The people that he was closest to um, were not communicating with him at all. And the more towards the holidays it got, 
the more the depression started coming in. And um, he was, I guess, when he got diagnosed with bipolar, was also diagnosed with clinical depression, just extremely depressed all the time after that. Plus, throwing in uh, the medication. He was um, on a lot of different medication, each one of them since his uh, death that we found out he was on um, had been being prescribed by several different doctors. Um, most of the five medications that he was on did have suicidal tendencies. So, uh, with the combination of what he took the night prior to his suicide, um, all of it, all five of the medications had suicide effects. Um, once again, uh, December the 13th, uh, getting up just normal, beautiful Tuesday morning, getting ready to leave for work and, you know, get a phone call that just forever changed my life. They told me that David had been in an accident. He was still alive and en route to UAB, but it was very serious and for me to get to the hospital as soon as possible, so I did. And I was there maybe probably 10 or 15 minutes when uh, they took me to a little room at UAB and proceeded to tell me that um, David had shot himself in the federal courthouse downtown and that um, the doctor, right when he walked in the door, I knew he had David's wedding ring in his hand, and I knew at that point that he didn't make it. And so, you know, from that on for the next, I guess, two weeks, I wasn't even functional. I just uh, remember falling in the floor in the hospital and just crying, God, no, 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 why? Why me? Why now? But now I know why, and I know that God is using this situation too. Um, it was kind of cool. I didn't know a lot of things that David had been struggling with prior to us getting married. I do know that, you know, from the things I had been through in my past, that maybe God thought I was strong enough to be the one to deal with getting David back to the Lord. I do know the last six months um, that we were together, that David was in church. He was attending a men's step study at Celebrate Recovery, working on his issues and his stuff. So I do know that all he was hearing was God and Jesus. Our pastor, uh, Matthew, at Chelsea Creek Community Church was meeting with David at least once a week. We were um, just so seeing how God was working in David's life. And, you know, Satan does know, you know, that David mm -hmm. and I had a ministry together because right. of what he had been through in his past and what I've been through in my past. And, you know, the, it wasn't um, God that did this to David. You right. know, I, right. I, as I told you before, David made the decision to take the medication that morning and David made the decision to pull the trigger that morning in the courthouse. So there's nobody to blame here, you know, not his family, not me, right. not anybody. Um, that is something he chose to do. But God, in return, has used this incident also, you know, for his good. That's right. That's and right. I, I do believe that, you know, um, he's going to use this in a, in a mighty way to help other people who are dealing with, you know, the uh, addiction of pain prescription, you know, pain prescription medicine, um, bipolar, and things like that, along with everything else, you know, in my life that I've had to walk through. So, well, 
You have, um, as I said earlier, you have been through it. For people out there who are listening to this and maybe dealing with a similar situation, I know David chose to do this. Um, was there anything different about home that morning before he left for work? Anything in the days leading up to that maybe somebody out there needs to hear that you just saw? As somebody with depression, it's tough to it's tough to allow people in. It is like when you don't hear from me, Christy, I'm typically isolating because I'm depressed and I can't talk to anybody. And I have several friends who stay on me like, you have to go outside. It's okay to go outside. But we don't really want people to see that. You know, we don't want people to see that side of us because we believe it's it's weakness. Um, I've attempted suicide twice, um, failed miserably. Um, I thank God because he had to have his hand in that. And I have since made a vow to God, to my family, and to myself that I will never do that again. And then that was in part, too, because of knowing what so many people went through when David killed himself. And just in the few minutes that I met him, how I knew that was such a huge loss for so many people. So all that to say, what can people out there maybe be looking for in people who are bipolar or suffer from depression that will help them get that person the help they need? Well, actually, Fran, I, too, attempted a suicide seven years ago, which is what, you know, actually brought me to my knees um, when I actually uh, started into counseling and got saved. I think that people have to be at the point where they're ready. For Mm -hmm. me, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I wanted help. Mm -hmm. With David, I did see a lot of this behind closed doors. I did uh, realize that he was medicating more. Uh, My pastor was aware that he was medicating more. It wasn't something that um, David was really admitting to, but we knew it was there. Um, And I think that was one of his inner fights within himself was he had so much trouble due to what he had just come out of in a marriage. internally, he was just struggling with how would I ever admit to anybody that this is what I was doing when I hated this over here, you know, so bad. So, you know, I think with David's situation, he had every single um, person in place that was counseling with him that was you know, he had every out if he would have, you know, chose to take that. I think sometimes, as I shared with you last night, the medication, mm-hmm. you know, we're not thinking clearly when you're right. on four or five different medications. Exactly. So um, there were signs. There were uh, was an issue, actually, um, at our home the night before where our pastor and uh, two of my best friends were at the house prior to this happening. Um, he was extremely out of it the night before um you know we begged him to go to the hospital uh he chose not to um the next morning when he was getting ready for work you know he just stood in the doorway for a couple of minutes and i think i'll remember that moment you know forever 
but he stood there just looking at me and I asked him after a couple of minutes, I was, you know, David, are you okay? And he said, I just want you to know how much I love you. And I said, mm-hmm. well, I love you too. And he said, well, don't worry about getting anything to eat tonight. You'll have plenty. And that was the last thing he said to me before he left. Wow. Not realizing that, you know, when somebody dies, they bring food, that that's what he was talking about. Right. So. I knew that David, um, ever since I had met him in the short six-month time that I knew him uh, in the four months that we were married, um, I knew that there were some issues there, not to the extent, you know, that that it was until after his death uh, is when I started finding out of how bad, you know, the pain prescription pill problem was. So, um, but even with that, you know, I see... Um, as I shared with you last night, the situation, of course, and in my past that um, had gotten me to this point um, with my children even, uh, there's been total 100% restoration and healing with that the night David died my due to uh, some crazy things in my past and poor choices that I had made. My children and I uh, were not speaking a whole lot. There was a lot of anger. I think I went almost for a year not speaking to my son. And so that night uh, was so precious. Even though I lost my husband that morning, my son sat on my bed and we just cried and cried. And my daughter came up from Huntsville and just, you know, absolutely there was healing and restoration after seven years of, of being apart from them. So, um, God has used this this hurt for good, too. And, yeah. uh, of course, I told you in my book, it goes into a little bit more detail of some things, you know, that had happened that due to time here, you know, we won't get into that. But um, mm-hmm. it is all published in my book. So Yeah. And w- the one thing that, I, that resonates when you talk is that you take responsibility for what is yours. But David is takes responsibility for what he did. And I appreciate that because I will tell you as a depressive, there are times when (laughs) we just want to blame everybody else. I'm depressed because of you. It's your fault, Christy, but it's not. And that's why we have got to, to, to honor what is ours. And by writing this book and by telling your story, you honor some incredible things that you have been through. You have lived a life that I'm not sure a lot of people would have survived. So can I take us back to to the beginning? It's not been an easy road for Christy. And y'all, she's just, she's so beautiful. She's so pretty. You see the the light of Christ in her and just physically beautiful. And uh, wow, girl, take us back to childhood and forward. Well, I actually, uh, my mother is from Germany. My father is from Italy, and they met while uh, my father was in the war overseas and uh, married. Um, At two years old, they divorced. Um, He brought my mother back here just to live the American dream, and that Mm -hmm. ended uh, when I was two. Um, My mother, my dad, had actually been involved just in the bar scene, the uh, women drink and that kind of thing and also had introduced that same type of lifestyle to my mom so my mother had I have a sister who's three years older than me and my mother uh, had to do all the raising she couldn't even speak English when she came over here so um, it was hard for her and she worked all the time which left me and my sister staying with uh, different family members and friends and you know things like that 
So shortly after I was eight, we moved from our childhood uh, home in Centerpoint over to an apartment in Hoover, and that's shortly when the sexual abuse had first taken place with me. Um, There was a stranger who drove up. We were outside playing at the tennis courts at the um, Green Tree Apartments, actually, that used to be on Lorna Road. And we um, were outside playing, and a man in a white pickup truck drove up and asked me, um, I know you probably remember back in the day when there was you totem across the street, <laughs> exactly, exactly. which was a little gas grocery uh, station. And he asked me if I could show him where that was. And so uh, being eight years old and not knowing any better, I got in the truck with him. Oh, and that was the first episode of uh, the sexual abuse that I had encountered. But God's grace, um, you know, he could have killed me, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. He did. Uh, what he did and then dropped me back off at the playground at the apartment complex and then shortly after that staying with some different family and friend members um, one of my family members had sexually abused me uh, for quite some time and then also a friend that I had gone to school with one of her parents uh, had for years the sexual abuse went on so Being so dysfunctional from all of that, being uh, through not having my father present in my life at all, he was um, not uh, an active part whatsoever. He was in and out of my life. Um, I just started, you know, going just absolutely crazy, Mm -hmm. uh, doing some of the craziest things, skipping school. Um, I guess I was right at 11 years old when I decided to run away with a boy that was 15, and we had one of our friends take and drive us and drop us off in Memphis, Tennessee. We stayed in and out of the bus station. We stayed in and out of dirty motels, uh, sometimes on the street. And I remember, once again, another just huge thing of God's grace. We met some guy in the bus station, and he was telling us about a warehouse where we could go and spend the night that they uh, that we could go over there. And the police officer that was in the bus station saw uh, the guy talking to us, mm-hmm. and he came over there and ran the guy off, and he said, let me tell you something, you know, where's your parents? And we came up with this huge story that they had gone across the street. We were leaving to go on family vacation, and the guy I was with was my brother. And he said, well, you're very lucky because this guy just got out of prison for raping young girls, and oh he probably goodness. would have raped you and killed Larry. So once again, God's, God's grace. grace. So uh, we did get picked up eventually, put in juvenile there in Tennessee, Um Shortly after that, I was sent to a girl's home in the ghettos of Indianapolis, Indiana, and I um, was told it was a two-week program, but when I got there, found out I would be there for a year. Um, My mother, at this point, was a Christian and was involved in a local church, and it was the church, uh, the pastor of that church, who had encouraged my mother to send me to this home. So when I got there, of course, finding out I was going to be there for a year, I just absolutely pitched a fit, kicking and screaming. And they took me and put me down in a basement uh, in between a corner, and they put a rollaway bed and filing cabinets. I didn't even have enough room to stretch out my legs, and that's where I stayed for uh, nearly four months the first time. So what is going through your mind during those four months when you're in that situation? What are you hoping for? Are you praying at that point? What's going on? I was so 
terrified and scared, first of all, being in a totally different environment mm-hmm. than what I was used to. Um, seeing girls tied down to rollaway beds. I saw girls put in closets that weren't fed for weeks. Um, I slept on a sheet on the floor, and I just remember laying on the sheet watching the rats run back oh. behind the washer and dryer. And I was so terrified and so scared. And at uh, one point there, after I had been there for almost a year, I got outdoor privileges. And so what that consisted of was going into a shed um, outdoors and sort things that came in from Goodwill. And I had a little girl. Her name was Mandy. She was 13. And we were going through sorting Goodwill. And she turned around and said, Christy, I just can't take being in here anymore. I've taken all that lady's medicine that was in the bag. So I went running in screaming for the counselors to come and, you know, help her. And I remember them walking her up and down the hall and sticking her head in and out of a tub of cold water and um, eventually, she she died right there at my feet. Oh my so, Christy. from that point on, I did whatever I could do to be a good child where I could get out. And finally, at age sixteen, I did. I signed myself out. But with that coming home, uh, I came back with a lot of hate and bitterness yeah. and anger, uh, especially towards my mom for leaving me there. Um, had met somebody in a Christian school. I finished my last 12th grade, and I started a a 12th grade Christian school and here locally in Birmingham and met somebody and uh, ended up getting pregnant. Um, Because of the trouble I was having at home, I um, had actually moved in with him and his family. And, you know, his parents told us, if I ever catch y'all in the bedroom together or whatever, you are out of here. So we did over a course of a year or so, ended up sexually being active, and I ended up getting pregnant. And, of course, being scared to death, I was 18 years old, uh, knowing I'd have nowhere to go. Him and I talked about me having an abortion, and eventually, you know, that's what I did. So we only stayed married for about a year after that. I had so much hate and resentment towards him for the abortion. And being so young and stupid and never having counseling for my past, I just, I didn't know how to go into a marriage with a young child. I've never seen healthy, so how would I know, you know? So we ended up divorcing, um, and I met my second husband um, when my son was four, and we... um, got married. I was happier then than I had ever been. Years were going on. And about two months, uh, my daughter was two months old. I um, had a little girl with him. My daughter was about two months old with my stepmother, who was married to my father at the time, had called me and said, Christy, you know, I really need to talk to you. There's something that you need to know. Um, Let me back up just a half a second. My, Mm -hmm. My dad was in a motorcycle wreck the night that I had my son in 83 and was paralyzed from the neck down. Oh, my goodness. So his wife had, you know, divorced him, and um, she came to me and told me that um, my father, that I thought all these years was my father, was actually not my father. Oh, Christy. So confirming that to, you know, be true, I did uh, find who my real father Mm -hmm. actually was and um, did get in contact with him. We hired a private investigator to find him and got in contact with him. And he said, you know, at this point in my life, I'm married and just don't want any, you know, so therefore I never heard from him ever again. Well, 
in the meantime of all of this, I'm taking care of my father moved in with me and I'm taking care of him because he's paralyzed from the neck down. I had two small children at this point, seven years apart. And there were some nights, Fran, that, you know, he would have an accident and I would have to get up at two o'clock in the morning, go clean him up, go put him in the shower. And this was a man that never took care of me. So I had a lot of resentment in doing this for him. There were things I had to do to him that a daughter should never you know, have to do. Have to do for a father. And with his lifestyle, it was taking a huge toll. My son shared the downstairs with him, and he was having women come over that were walking undressed through my son's bedroom. And so we just came up finally after eight years of all of this craziness going on. It was really taking a toll on my son. And we came up with a a story that my son, uh, my husband had gotten transferred to Tennessee, so we mm-hmm. gave my father the house. We actually just moved across town because I knew I had to make a decision whether to protect my children, children or mm-hmm. keep living this dead dream of being daddy's little girl, right. you know, exactly. that I knew was never going to happen. So we made that choice, and then a weekend uh, later, I got a phone call once again that forever changed my life, the nurse said that when he came in that morning that he found my dad dead. So, of course, all the guilt of me leaving him, that was the first time I had ever left him in eight years. Um, I go over to the house thinking, you know, that everything's going to be okay. The ambulance is going to be there, mm-hmm. you know, this, that, and the other. So, um, you know, the, the, the guilt-shame thing is a big thing, especially for women. Absolutely. And we've all dealt with that, I think, on some level. You know, we're talking a lot about life from Birmingham or in Hoover, but this this is a worldwide, this is a Absolutely. nationwide issue. How, coming out of that, your situation with your father, did you deal with the guilt and shame of that? Well, it, I didn't, and that is what was so hard because I had so much guilt and shame from, you know, I was so angry that he just, I felt like he just died and left me I knew then I would never have that father-daughter relationship, Mm -hmm. never. That was over. And that's all I ever wanted was to be daddy's little girl, to be that princess that you hear Mm -hmm. about in the storybooks. That was over for me now. Mm -hmm. So after a long investigation, we found out that he had uh, gone to Biloxi and paid taxes on a large amount of money, and his autopsy revealed that he had been suffocated. So due to his paralysis it was hard to get anything pinned on like the time of death even they couldn't because he slept in a water bed it kept his water his body temperature warm so there was never ever any conviction on that mm-hmm. case so we just had to move on from there well I guess about a couple of months after that happened I just couldn't handle it I couldn't handle everything I had been through I um, actually had run into an old boyfriend that came uh, to the funeral when he had heard that my dad died and ended up eventually having an affair. I left my marriage of 18 years and um, started on that path of going to bars and looking for men to fill that void in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's one thing that I always, you know, had always said that I wanted to meet somebody that was blind, that couldn't see me on the outside, because that's what always attracted the men. But it was always a sexual thing Mm -hmm. and not somebody loving me for who I was, you know, in my heart and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So 
um, another, you know, I guess five or six years of the bar scene partying, da-da-da-da. Well, seven years ago in 2005, uh, New Year's Eve, I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. My children were not talking to me because I had run them away from leaving my marriage and then the dating and the living in and out with men and, you know, this kind of thing. So I just did not want to live anymore. I didn't have um, anything. I've lost everything at this point. So I was trying to contemplate how to wreck my car where I could make it look like an accident so my kids could get the life insurance. I've, Me too. You know, well, you know, it's a big mountain here in Birmingham called Double Oak Mountain. There you go. And I hit planned <laughs> going off Double Oak so my mom could get the insurance. That that that's interesting and yeah. scary. It's very scary, very scary. Just you never know that feeling until you've been there. Like right. you have. We've mm-hmm. discussed this before, but um, that night I did uh, take uh, some pills, and I actually had been dating this guy, living with a guy for about five years, and had not heard from him in almost six months. And once again, God's grace, mm-hmm. right after midnight, he calls me, and he noticed that something was wrong in my voice, and he said, uh, "We're I'm calling for help. So he did. Um they uh, actually went from the hospital to Church of Brook Hills. He set up a, a, an appointment with me with an associate pastor there. And I remember going in and talking to the pastor. And I said, um, you got to remember, friend, I hated God my whole life because being at a Christian school, being at a Christian girls program, I saw some of the cruelest, meanest things that I had ever seen Christian, so-called Christian religious people do. Mm -hmm. I wanted nothing to do with God my whole life. I hated God. So when I went to Church of Brick Hills and this pastor was saying, you know, Christy, there is hope. You do have reason. God loves you so much. I'm like, really? Are you serious? I don't (laughs) want to hear this. Right, Right. He said, if you will just give God a chance and give us a chance to help you, we will pay for you to go to counseling for a year at um, I Found Hope, which used to be on 280. And I said, okay, well, you know, all else has failed, so we'll just try this. So I did and went through a year of extensive counseling. And then I got into, uh, they referred me to a place called Celebrate Recovery, Mm -hmm. which I started at. And um, when I first walked in there, I remembered I needed one good reason to live or one good reason to die. Yeah. And I um, went in there and I kind of felt like when I went into this share group, all these people are sharing about their struggles. And I'm thinking, I found my island of misfit toys, you know. (laughs) Hey, they're, you know, some worse than me, some, you know, not as bad as me and not what I'd been through. But the one thing we all had in common was pain. Yes. And that's what brought us there. So I started the program. I went through um, actually three years of a step study, um, which some of us, it takes a little bit longer than others. But I went through that. Not only was it my addictions or looking for a man or the bars or this that and the other i they get to the root of what mm-hmm. was going on you've got to kill that root that's right before any of this other craziness is going to start my root was abandonment issues from mm-hmm. not having a father inadequacy mm-hmm. issues um you know that kind of thing so 
Um, that is when my life turned around. Actually, three years ago, uh, my best friend and my sponsor went with me out to my father's grave, and I read him a six-page letter of things wow. that he had done to me and how I had forgiven him. And, friend, it was so cool. When I was reading that letter to him, it was at sunset, and everybody had taken time to pray. And when I got through reading that letter, you could see the ray coming up of sun out in the sky mm -hmm. and it was just this beautiful beam of sunlight and from wow. that day forward my life has been different and that forgiveness is a gift that you you give yourself absolutely and, and i know that there's so many people out there listening probably crying um praying and and really just two more questions for you first sure. first of all for people who are not Christians, for people who are atheists, who are agnostics, um, how do you reconcile the God thing? Okay, I love Jesus. You love Jesus. And, um, you know, I, I almost married an atheist. And ultimately, even as young as I was at 24, I call the wedding off because I'm like, you've got no love for the man that I truly love, which is Jesus Christ. So what do you say to people out there who aren't believers, who can't grasp what we're talking about? I would say, look at my life, look at what I've been through. You know, I don't want people to be sitting there crying listening to this. I want people to just be with their mouth open in awe mm -hmm. of a God that yes. does exist. Because most people have told me, Christy, you will end up, end up in an insane asylum somewhere. Right. Well, you know what? God had different plans for me. Amen. And even so going good. through the death of my husband three months ago, God has got a plan, not just for me, but for every single person out there, men, women. I know, you know, I deal with a lot of women. I do a lot of women's conferences. Um, I know that God is real. And it's not a God that you have to do good, You, and not a mean God that's going to pay you back, which I was raised believing, mm -hmm. you know, that you have to be good. You've got to do this or do that. I'm talking about I learned who my identity was in Christ mm -hmm. and how much if I would have been the only person. I know I told you this on the way over here. If I would have been the only person, he would have taken those nails in his hands for me. That's right. He would have sat there and looked at me and said, Christy, this is all just for you. That's right. He is an amazing God. And anybody that can look at my life and what I've been through, there is not one thing I have not been through that you cannot say there is not a God. That's right. Because That's most right. people would have given up and thrown away on me a long time ago. But let me tell you, Jesus Christ will never throw you away. No, he won't. He will ever. never turn his back on you. That's you right. know the man that I have been dying to have to love me unconditionally? His name is Jesus. That's right. And exactly. I have him. I am hopeful. I am happy. I am content. Praise God. In Christ. In Christ Jesus. And that's the one I want everybody to know is that Jesus that I know. And people can hear or read about your story and learn much more about your story in your book that's coming out September 13th. Tell us the, the title and, and just, just a quick synopsis of, of why a book. Why, why are you... Wow, that's wide open, girl. You're telling the world the story. Absolutely. I um, was actually had just, you have to at Celebrate Recovery write your testimony right. to go around and share it at the different churches and things like that. And I was fortunate enough to 
uh, get it to someone that thought, hey, you know, this is a story of hope. This is a story of God's grace where most people would have thrown me to the wolves. This is just a true picture of God's grace. I wanted to share my story with everybody. Um, Is it embarrassing for everybody to know my garbage? Absolutely. But this isn't about Christy. This is about Jesus. And this is about people seeing that no matter what situation you're in, no matter what you've done in your past— You don't have to carry the guilt. You see, the day God died and took those nails, he took that guilt and shame for me. Put the bricks down, people. Absolutely. (laughs) So my book is God's Grace is Enough. And underneath the caption, the other caption is, if you're still breathing, there is hope. So I hope that my book will offer hope to men, women, children, old, young, whoever, to know if I can get through what I've been through then they can get through what they've been through. God's just using me as his tool. This is not about Christy. This is not about um, any programs, any churches. This is about knowing a Jesus that I know. So you can get up every day and know I've got hope. Do things happen to good people? Absolutely. They do. But this is where I had a choice three months ago. I could have either... The phone call that I got when David had shot himself was, A, I can lay down and say, okay, God, I'm done. I I was serving you. I've got a singles ministry that I've been pouring myself into for the last seven years. I could have just very easily said, I'm done. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I chose. Your life is only what you make it. That's right. And I made a choice that day. Satan, you came to kill, steal, and destroy. Yes, he did. But guess what? You're not going to. That's right. Because God in Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I still have plans for you, uh, plans for hope and a future. And either you believe God's word or you don't. I choose to believe God's word. I choose to believe there's hope. And that's what my book is about. And that's what I want to share with other people. Praise God. Christy, it's wonderful to have you as a friend, and it's wonderful to have you here on uh, Eavesdrop. And what you just said reminded me of the book of Job and how Job stood in love with Jesus, with, with God, no matter what he went through. But the line that has gotten me through so many things is um, that he has seen him now. He has, with the fullness of who God is, we hear about it a lot, but when you go through it, through your situation and, and some of the situations I've been through, we fully see God for everything that He is. Christy, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you. And we're looking forward to getting your book, which is God's Grace is Enough. It's due out in bookstores September 13th. Um, as for eavesdrop, we hope that you'll continue to join us and we'll have uh, some more amazing Christian women. I am very blessed to know some Christian women who have uh, (laughs) stood the test of time, like my buddy Christy. And so in the coming weeks, we'll be talking to some more ladies about that. So over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about different issues that affect women, that just affect people, no matter where you live in the world. We want you to, to get everyone that you know to go to the podcast section of iTunes to listen to Eavesdrop. You can also listen at bigbrainsmedia.com. You can find us on Stitcher. And of course, y'all, we have a Facebook page. And uh, we want you to join us for Eavesdrop. And uh, 
just love that you're listening and that you're learning about God and that you know you got some buddies here who uh, who want you listening to eavesdrop. So thanks again to Christy Musso for being with us today. Y'all have a great week.